Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Part 6. Last Rites. Chapter 147. A drum beat solemnly in the courtyard outside the castle. An anxious crowd had begun to form, eager to see what was happening. Usually, before a thief or a murderer took the rope, people gathered around laughing and gossiping as if they were going to a feast. Peddlers hawked cakes and candles. Children played hide-and-seek through a crowd, hoping for a front-row vantage point from which to taunt or spit. Trust me, black folks know that. But today the mood was different. Everyone knew they were going to see something they had never seen before. A noble was going to be hanged. A noble woman. High above the courtyard, I hid on a castle ledge, crouching in a nook the moor it found for me. In the square, I spotted Odo on the crowd near the gallows, an ox, balancing two pails on his shoulders, making his way in the direction of the main gate. On the walls, soldiers lined the ramparts, poised in case the rebels charged. A bonfire burned in the square, its flames fanned by a whipping wind. The fire was for Emily's body, once she was dead. A flourish of horns shattered the rest of quiet. Murmurs buzzed through the crowd. It was time. The door to the donjon opened. A detachment of soldiers marched out, Emily at their center. There she is, someone shrieked. I beg you, pray, lady, a woman wailed. God's heaven is great. If he finds room for us, he will for you. My heart was pounding against my ribs just to see Emily after such a long time. She wore a plain cotton smock and a shawl wrapped tightly around her shoulders. Her blonde hair was pinned and fell about her neck. She didn't look noble, just as brave as I had ever seen her. Oh God, how I wanted to catch her eye and call out to her, let her know I was here. The drumbeat began again. The crowd grew hushed. Let her go, someone finally yelled. We have no fight with her. Emily stopped for a moment, a smile of kindness on her face, but a soldier pushed her towards the scaffold. The crowd hollered to save her life, even as a mass hangman pulled her up by the arms, up the stairs, and led her to the noose. I knew how frightened she must be. I knew how her heart must be fluttering. I glanced at Odo. Hold! The same to Ox. How I wanted to rise and shout the words, I'm here! Then the horn sounded again. This time, the Duke's flourish. 
From the entrance to the castle, Stephen appeared, flanked by his lackeys, the bailiff and the chamberlain. The bailiff pulled out a scroll and began to read. In accordance with the law of the Duchy of Bore, and sanctioned heretofore by the Archbishop of the Diocese and the Holy See, it is willed that all known abettors and caregivers to the heretic rebels will be deemed agents of corruption of both duchy and church, and therefore be hanged by the neck until dead, and their bodies burned, as is the law. Let her live, a voice shouted from the crowd. It's Stephen's neck that fits the noose, not hers. Stephen's face reddened. Where's your gesture now, lady? He stepped up to the gallows and said to all, I have given him a chance to spare her life, to spare the city more blood, and yet he does not appear. Lady Emily, you have only these weak-willed women to speak for you. Your deeds speak for me, Emily said. I pray he does not come. Stephen narrowed his eyes. We will wait, but only a few moments more. Oda looked at me with readiness. Now, his eyes said, we must strike now. I gave him no signal. Suddenly, a lookout called from the walls. My lord, it's the jester's army. Their arms are down. They submit. Stephen's face lit with joy. Be sure, sergeant. Submit or attack. There must be no tricks. No, the sergeant is right, confirmed the Shatlian from the ramparts. They carried our banners down. They do submit. And the jester, he's at the head of them. From my perch, I can make out rows of my men approaching with their arms at bay, and Alphonse in my patchwork skirt and cap at the head. So, if you had a whole trick, a whole pretext, which we didn't know because y'all dipped out at midnight. So how'd you go back and tell these folks what your plan was? A. B. Why didn't you tell Oda what the plan was? Like, he would have known not to look so, like harried and worried about getting her rescued. If he knew that you had a plan, that's messed up. If you're going to leave me in a fire, you better tell me where I'm going to get burnt. That's all I'm saying. The fool's stupidity amazes even me, Stephen smirked, bounding up the steps and peering over the wall. He lays down everything for a woman. What chivalry. Come forth, Jester. Stephen called beyond the wall. We will open the gates. I have something you will want to see. He signaled to his gatekeepers to draw out the portcullis. Two men hoisted the heavy metal gate skyward. At the same time, Stephen ordered, Hangman, secure the noose. The crowd gasped in protest. Something vile was about to occur. The mass executioner fitted the rope around Emily's neck and positioned her body over the trap. She bees in the trap. Be bees in the... Stay away, Emily shouted to the men approaching outside the gate. A black hood was placed over her head. Please, Hugh, go back. Go back. Stephen laughed out loud. Sorry to disappoint you, lady. It seems he's every bit the fool he's reputed to be. I can no longer restrain myself. I looked at Odo in the crowd and the ox hovering by the opening gate. Across the way, I spotted the moor on a balcony above the square. I signaled them. Now! But suddenly, Stephen shouted, It's not him! He strained over the wall, his eyes bulging. It's a trick! The jester's not there! Close the gates! Chapter 148 The moor's arrow streaked across the square, striking one of the gatekeepers in the back. He slumped to his knees. 
Ox threw off his pails and jammed a rod in the pulley, bringing the heavy portcullis to a stop. He ran his knife into the back of the other gatekeeper, who was struggling to bring the gate down. Poor guys. They were just doing their jobs. They weren't soldiers. They were those guys at the front of the parking garage whose job it is to open up that little, that little arm. Or, if it's newfangled, the airport, to bring down them spikes that'll pop your tires <laughs> if you flow through. They weren't doing nothing. They didn't want no beef. They didn't want no smoke. And now they're dead. A swarm of my men. The dude was struggling to bring the gate down by himself, too. He knew what was going on. <laughs> I bet you in his head, if it was available at the time, which it wasn't, but if it was available at the time, what was going through his head was um, that song from Talking Heads, you know, Once in a Lifetime. music is playing while the the meme from Spongebob where Mr. Krabs is standing there and there's all the circles around him. It's just going through his head. He's like, how did I get here? You might ask yourself, why didn't I get an outhouse? You might ask yourself, what is deodorant really? You might ask yourself, what is this growth on the side of my leg? You may ask yourself, where's my beautiful wife? Why is this guy coming with me, coming forward with me? Why is this guy coming towards me with a knife? And you might think, well, how did I get here? And then you fall down because he just stabbed you in the back. You're not getting up. Your whole body's going slack. This was your day off. No one wanted you here once in a lifetime. This is something you should fear. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, that, that him holding that gate, struggling to open the gate, or struggling to close the gate by himself, and the guy rushing towards him with a knife, all you can hear is, want to get away. All you can hear is, sometimes you need a Snickers. Like, these are just the moments. That is, that is literally the moment. The guy is struggling to close the gate. He turns around. He sees the person coming at him with a knife. And right before the knife sticks in his back, you hear him, you hear him in a voiceover. I bet you wonder how I got into this situation. <laughs> a swarm of my men, Alphonse in the lead, rushed inside. They overwhelmed the soldiers at the gate as arrows rained down on them. Soon they were battling Stephen's men hand to hand. Stephen leaped down from the walls and ran towards the scaffold and Emily. Where's your fool? He asked her. He lets you die? He doesn't come for you? He gave the nod to his hangman. Then Odo pushed his way past two guards. He plunged his knife into the hangman's gut, hurling him off the scaffold. He went to Emily. He does come, Stephen, I called. I held up the lance. Our eyes locked in a hateful exchange. I am here, my lord. Norbert told me you were a gesture short. The thrill of victory twisted in a rage on Stephen's face. Get him, he screamed. A hundred gold pieces for the man who brings me that lance. Five hundred. His guard started to move towards me. I raised the lance. You threw my son into the flames, I said, fixed on Stephen. Here, fetch your lance. 
I hurled it with all my might into the center of the bonfire. To everyone's horror, it stuck firmly amid the flames. No! Stephen hollered. He ran like a madman to the fire, desperately pulling a branch and wood, flames biting at his flesh. He hurled sticks towards a lance, trying to dislodge it. Then he backed off, driven away by the raging heat. He stared at the lance fixed in the center, red hot and starting to lose its shape. Then he turned towards me, murderous hatred in his eyes. You, he screamed, you incredible fool. Chapter 149 Stephen bounded up the stone stairs two at a time and onto a parapet, climbing to my level with a great speed and agility for such a large man. His eyes burned. I took my sword and leapt from my ledge to a second floor balcony of the castle. One of Stephen's soldiers moved to stop me, and I slashed him across the chest, sending him flying. The duke hurtled another ledge, racing towards me in a frenzy. He came to face me on the same balcony, ten paces away. Your wit has never been in doubt, Carrot Head, he said, leering at me. Now we'll see if you have fight. He leapt upon me, bringing down his blade. A bone-chilling claim reverberated through my arms as I parried the blow. Stephen pivoted deftly and swung his sword, two-handed at my chest. The blade cut my side. I buckled, stung with terrible pain. Come on, fool, he taunted. I thought you had some passion for the fight. You will see there's more to being noble than sticking your dick in a high-born coup. That is another old-school white term. Coup. Coup. That's not as bad as wound. Nothing is as bad as wound. Wound is literally Hall of Fame horrible. But coup is bad. And in the 70s and in the 80s, there were phrases that just should have been retired. And I'm mad that he brought that one back up. One of them was coup. The other one was coups. Coups. Oh, my God. Oh, ugh. Okay, cut that out. Cut that out. No one says coup again. Coup. Better be talking about a bird chirping or something. A baby being happy about something. Coup. Better be talking about a takeover. R.O.C. is running this rap shit. You want a restitution for your shit-covered wife and son? Come on. He struck with his sword again, forcing mine back inches from my neck. His eyes were ablaze. Hot breath fumed in my face. Oh, don't tell me it's hot. I already know it's hot. Oh, God. With the last of my strength, I need him. Stephen groaned and buckled. I pushed him away and swung my blade, knocking the sword from his hand. His eyes widened as it toppled over the ledge. He stood there, defenseless, yet still glaring. Then he jumped onto a ledge overlooking the square. He laughed. Just know if I get to her first, she's dead. He leapt across to the next balcony. Then he darted inside the castle. I ran to the edge of the balcony, scanning the courtyard, looking for Emily. I didn't find her anywhere. Otto either. Blood was seeping from my side. This is like a live action Where's Waldo. I ran into the castle, expecting Stephen in a fight to the death. I was in the living quarters. No sign of the bastard anywhere. Where are you? I hollered down the halls. Only echoes answer. Why, why Why? do you think he would answer? Why? Are you in here? Yup. Got him. Like, what? I smashed through a door and into Stephen and Ant's private quarters. I looked around madly. 
I had been there that night when I hunted for Anne after finding Sophie in the dungeon. He said he's going to try and kill Emily. Why would he be in his room? You think he had to stop to take a shit? In a chamber pot? I don't know what they had back then, but I know they didn't wipe their asses too well. That's just gross. I looked down at my side. A damp patch of blood was spreading on my tunic. Steven, I yelled. God damn it, come fight with me. His voice came from behind me. You want me? I'm here, Jester. Tell me a joke. Steven emerged from a corner smirking. A loaded crossbow aimed at my chest. I may be a Jester short, as you say, he said. But you, it seems, are the one who's out of tricks. A chill went down my spine. I backed up to the wall. There was nowhere to run. What do you say? Are little fools out of tricks? He dreams of being noble, but he's only fucked one. Shame about the lance, though, he said with a grin. Don't you agree, wife? Wife? Anne? Chapter 150 Anne stepped into the light, remaining behind Stephen. My legs grew weak. A hollowness was in my gut. In her hand, she held the lance. The holy lance. Not the ordinary one I cast so theatrically into the fire. The lance I had entrusted to her last night. Entrusted. I am a fool, I said, seeking out her eyes. How could Emily be so wrong about Anne? How could I? I looked at the crossbow leveled at my chest, and Stephen's mocking grin. For the first time, I felt ready to die. Notorious B.I.G. One last word, Jester. Stephen smirked. Your death is trivial to me, Surf. All that mattered was a lance. But what would you do with such a thing anyway? You cannot possibly know the power it holds. I hunted the world for it. By all God's justice, it's mine. He tensed his finger on the trigger of the crossbow. Then have it, Stephen. Anne's voice rang from behind him. Suddenly, Stephen lurched and his eyes wrenched open. I stiffened, expecting my guts to fall into my hands but no arrow came from his crossbow. I heard the most horrible sound, the splitting of ribs and sinew, the tearing of flesh. An awful gasp came from Stephen's mouth, but instead of words, a river of blood followed. Anne pushed forward strongly. This time, the blade of the lance pierced the back of his neck and came out before his very eyes. Have it, husband. Then Anne put her mouth close to his ear and whispered, but know how worthless it is now, our Savior's blood having mingled with your own. Stephen looked down. He stared disbelievingly at the Roman eagle and the bloody tip of the holy lance's blade protruding from his neck. Then he fell to the floor. I stared at Anne, dumbstruck. She merely stared in return. Neither of us spoke. Then I saw a softening in her eyes and she nodded, as if we shared some kind of understanding, one that would never be put into words. I think it's safe to say, she said, that when we pulled you from the ditch that day, such an ending would not have entered our minds. Very safe, madam. See, that's what you get. You didn't know what her whole plan was and you thought she was going to die. See, you out there thinking she plotting on you and she was initially, but still, you out there thinking right now she was plotting on you. She really saving your life, but she didn't tell you the plan because that's what you get. That's what you get. I heard footsteps from down the hall. Emily burst into the room breathless. Our eyes met and my heart nearly exploded with joy. 
She looked at Stephen crumpled on the floor, then at Anne standing over him, then at me again, her eyes darting to the blood leaking from my side. She gasped. You are wounded. And you are always nursing me back to health, I said. Oh God, Emily, you cannot know how it feels to see you now. I do know, she said. Emily ran to me and flung herself in my arms. I lifted her off her feet and squeezed her as tightly as I have ever held anything in my life. I kissed her over and over, kissed the hope and gratefulness. For the first time, I actually realized that she was mine. My eyes were moist as I thought of all that had taken place since I first set off from Vail de Pere. All who had died. I have nothing. Not a denier to my name, I muttered. Not even a career. How is it possible that I feel like the richest man in all the world? Emily took my hand and whispered, Because you are free. Chapter 151 The Langadocians were the first to leave, early the following morning. Ox told me there was a saying in their part of the woods. No sense hanging around the wine cask when the party's over. He and his men assembled at the gates at dawn. Their horses loaded with sacks of grain, a few pigs, and hens fluttering behind. I went out in the early light to bid them farewell. You should stay, I told him. Anne has promised to address all your claims. You deserve a lot more. More? We're farmers, Ox said. What else do we need? If we came back laden with gold chalices, our people would think they were to piss in. In that case, I patted him on the shoulder and flashed him a glimpse of a plate of gold engraved with Stephen's crest that I intended to give him as a memento. No need to leave with this. Ox looked around and then tucked it in his saddle pouch. I guess I'll have to teach them some proper manners, he grinned. I embraced him, patting the warrior warmly on his broad back. Look us up, Jester, if you ever had the urge to return that lance, he winked. He slapped his horse and signaled his men forward. I watched until the very last of them had disappeared through the city gates. Stephen was being buried later that day. That was one last thing I had to do. A few of my men were there as the coffin was brought to the cathedral. It was not a service befitting a duke who had died in battle. Only Anne, their son, Emily, and I were inside the church with the bishop. What did she say to her son? Like I stabbed your dad through the neck with the lance that we tried to go through, that we killed hundreds of people for throughout the entirety of France, Rome, and other places abroad. Yeah, stabbed your dad, stabbed your dad right through the neck with a... Made it sound like that blood came out of his mouth. Give me a hug. Your dad's dead. You want a sandwich? Yeah. Sa peanut butter? Strawberry jelly? Okay, you want me to cut the crust off? Cool, cool, cool. Did you take a bath? I'm just kidding. There's no such thing. The deuce coffin was carried into a crypt deep inside the castle and placed in a marble sarcophagus. In this dark, narrow space well below ground lay the remains of past bishops and members of the ruling family. There was barely enough air to fuel a torch. The blessing was simple and quick. I mean, what was there to say? That Stephen had bargained his honor away for greed and power? That he had been a shit to his wife and an indifferent father to his son? That he had plundered the Holy Land in search of loot? The Bishop of Bore, the same who had excommunicated us, muttered through a quick prayer, his eyes darting towards a lance. Emily looked on, holding my hand. When the blessing was done, Anne bent over the casket and planted a dry kiss upon Stephen's cheek. 
Then a final blessing was said. Anne led her son out of the crypt, the bishop stumbling close behind. Give me a moment, I said to Emily. She seemed not to understand. I need to say something for my wife and son. She finally nodded and left me. Just Stephen and I. I looked at his deep-set eyes, his turned-down hawk nose. If there ever was a bastard in this world, you were it, I said. May you rest in hell, you prick. I closed the coffin. I held the holy lance in my palms. It brought back memories of all those lives that had been changed by it. Maybe years from now, someone will find it, I thought. In a different time, when it would be celebrated for what it was. Something miraculous, close to God. You were a hell of a good walking stick, I smiled. But as a relic, you brought more blood than peace. I placed the holy lance inside the sarcophagus. Then I moved the heavy lid into place and looked away. The crypt attendant came back and I nodded for him to go about his duty. I stayed and watched, saying goodbye to Sophie, Philip, and the Turk who had spared me in Antioch. The sarcophagus was sealed for good and pushed into the wall, where it fitted almost seamlessly into the stone. Then mortar was smoothed into cracks. It would lie there forever, or until it was needed again. Chapter 152 Church bells were ringing. As I came out of the crypt, Emily rushed up, excited. We have visitors, Hugh. Archbishop Velot is arriving at the gates. Velot? I did not know the name. From Paris. Paris? I didn't know if this was good or bad. The church had excommunicated us. If this was upheld, all we fought for could be lost. No matter what Anne vowed to rectify, without the church we were outcasts, more dead than alive. I wonder... <laughs> This is just me. But I wonder how the folks felt who got excommunicated and then died and ended up in heaven anyway. And they were like, oh. And so then when their bishop or the cardinal, whoever else died and got up to heaven, they went up to them straight away and was like, you have no power here. Anyway. I hobbled into the courtyard. Anne stood by expectantly. Bishop Bartholomew, too. From all about, my men gathered around the courtyard. Odo, Georges, Alphonse, Father Leo. The Archbishop of Paris. This was a humbling thing. As the portcullis was raised, a column of soldiers in crimson surcoats galloped two by two into the courtyard. Behind them, an ornate carriage drawn by six strong steeds. It bore the cross of Rome, insignia of the Holy See. My heart was leaping out of my chest. Emily squeezed my hand. I have a good feeling, she whispered. I wish I could say I did as well. A captain of the guard jumped off his mount and placed a stool in front of the carriage door. When it opened, two priests wearing scarlet skull caps emerged. Then... A moment behind them, the archbishop, about 60 by my estimate, his hair gray and thinned, wearing a crimson robe and a large gold cross around his neck. Your eminence, Bishop Bartholomew exclaimed. He and his priest dropped to one knee. Slowly, everyone around them did the same. This is a great honor. I pray you do not have too unsettling a trip. We would not have, the archbishop curtly replied, were it not on your word that we first went to Triel, expecting to find a rebellion there. 
heretics, and thieves. Yet instead, we found only peace and order, and remarkably, no Lord. I'm told there was a battle fought here. There was, your grace, the bishop said. Well, you look no worse for wear, Bartholomew, the archbishop observed. Obviously, the church still functions. Show me, where are all these dreaded lost souls? Why, they are here, the bishop said, stabbing his finger towards my men. And here, he pointed at me. The archbishop looked closely at us. These men seem quite benign for apostates and heretics. The bishop's face turned white. A few snickers were heard around the court. The duke felt, the duke obviously felt, Ballou interrupted, that the church's laws were available, as were you, to enact his personal bidding. For the first time, the tightened bowstring that was my chest began to relax. Your grace, Anne stepped forward and knelt. Your presence is most welcome, but there are matters of civil law that also need to be addressed. A voice called out from the carriage. That is why I came along, my dear. A stately figure emerged, wrapped in a purple cloak embroidered with gold florida lease. Each of the soldiers immediately dropped to a knee. Your Highness, Anne exclaimed, her face blanched. She immediately rose and curtsied, eyes fastened to the ground. Gaps rippled through the crowd, words I could scarcely believe. The king? The entire square dropped to one knee. The king? And we ain't talking about Elvis, because he ain't the king of nothing. You better give that to little Richard where it belongs. Elvis was a hero to most, but he'll never be nothing to me because he was straight out racist. The entire square dropped to one knee. The king, he had answered my call. I had to blink twice to make sure I wasn't dreaming. Then I heard something that stunned me even more. Father, Emily exclaimed. Chapter 153. Father, did I hear right? My body slammed to a halt. I know that my jaw hung wide. The king's eyes were drawn to Emily. I could not tell if he was pleased or stern. Has your absence from the court made you forget, child, who it is you address? No, my lord, Emily replied. She knelt and averted her eyes. Then she lifted them, twinkling with amusement. Father, she exhaled and smiled. So, the king signaled for us to rise. Show me the misguided fool who I am told is responsible for this unrest. Emily shot forward, clasping my arm. You are mistaken, father. It is not Hugh who is responsible, but quiet, the king interrupted, his voice raised. I was referring to Stephen, the supposed duke, not your damn jester, he said. Emily, her eyes moist, broke into a blushing smile. She took my hand. The duke is dead, my lord, Anne came forward. He died, realizing his shame, by his own hand. Oh, that's what she told her son. Yeah, your dad offed himself. You want a sandwich? How about some waffles? Yeah, it'll pass soon. You want some pho? Pho is pho phenomenal. Fucking great. PHO. So useful. By his own hand, the king glanced at the archbishop and snorted. Then it is he, after all is done, who is withheld from God's grace. As for the rest of you heretics, he turned and faced my men, consider yourself restored. I speak for Archbishop Below when I give you back your souls.
They were in the back seat. I brought them with me. A joyous cheer rose up. The men hugged one another and threw their fists in the air. Now, as for you, Jester, the king turned back to me. You have made demands that if granted would throw half the country into disarray. No demands. I bowed my head, only to hope to return to our homes in peace and some manner of law to redress ills perpetrated on us. The king sucked in a breath. For a moment, I thought he would go into a rage. Then he relaxed. My daughter has been talking about this very thing for years. Perhaps it is time. The courtyard exploded into cheers, but he immediately put up his hand to stop them. The fact remains, you have risen up against your lords, against those you were pledged to. The law of liege and serf is not an issue here. Some justice must be meted out. Emily pushed me down. I knelt. You must be educated in the manner of the nobles, said the king. My lord, I was a jongleur and an innkeeper. I am as far from highborn as one can be. Yet, you will have to be educated, the king cocked his eye, if you intend to marry my daughter. I slowly raised my head. I looked about, a smile spreading on my face. Father! Emily gasped and pulled me to my feet. Then she ran to the king without so much as a curtsy, threw her arms around him. I know, I know. Fools are everywhere, even those who wear the royal robe. But first, I need a word with your boy. He came to me, evaluating me. Then he placed an arm around my shoulder and ushered me away. I felt some rebuke about to come. Not to seem ungrateful, son, for I know Emily's in your debt. But in your letter, you mentioned a lance. I took a breath, then spoke. It was destroyed, your highness. Hurled into flames in the fighting here. I'm afraid there's nothing left. The king sighed deeply. It was the lance that pierced our savior's side? Such a relic was more valuable than my own crown. Are you sure of it, lad? Only sure that it's produced the most miraculous of outcomes. Look around you, sire. He looked at the ebullient man, at his daughter's eyes wet with joy, then nodded wistfully. What a treasure that would have made. But perhaps it is just as well. In my experience, such things are better left the stuff of legends and myths. Epilogue Grandpere! My little grandson Jack came up to me in the gardens. It was a bright late summer morning. I had just returned from the hill with a handful of sunflowers, as I did every morning in the summer. Though climbing to the spot was a little harder for me now. Little Jack, my daughter Sophie's son, who was five, threw himself into my arms and almost toppled me over. He pointed to the checkerboard crest that hung above the entrance to our inn. Of course, the inn was slightly larger than my first one. We now owned a quarter of the land that once belonged to Baldwin. Some things do come with being married to the daughter of a king. Mother told me you would tell me what our crest means. She said you were once a jester. She said that? I pretended to be surprised. Well, if she said that, then it must be true. Show me, Jack insisted, his blue eyes twinkling. Show you? I took his hand. Then first, you must hear the tale. I took him to the bench that overlooked the town where we had lived these 40 years, near where Sophie and Philip were buried. Around us, the fields exploded with sunflowers galore. I took Jack back to the time when all I had was a tiny inn, when an army marched through here, an army led by a hermit, 
to the battles near and far and the holiest prize in the world, which for a short while was in my hands, to the fight of men to make themselves free, 40 years before. My little blonde-haired grandson listened without so much as a breath. That was you, Grandpere? You did those things? Me and Odo and Alphonse, when Uncle Odo was just a smith in town and not our seneschal. A seneschal, for those y'all like me who didn't know, is a governor or other administrative or judicial officer. The steward or major domo of a medieval great house. Dope. Let me see, he screwed up an eye as if I were joking. Show me what you learned. What I learned? I touched his tiny freckled nose. Then a thought flashed into my head. I got up off the bench and winked at him as if to say, This is our secret. Whatever happens, don't tell your grandmother. I sucked in my stomach and held my breath. I hadn't done this in 30 years. I tucked myself into a deep crouch. I prayed to God I wouldn't kill myself. Watch this. And I sprang through the air into a forward flip. And in that fleeting instant, a thousand memories flashed through my mind. Sophie, Norbert, Nico and Robert and the Turk. I sprang for all of them one last time. With a thump, I landed on my feet. Every bone in my body seemed to rattle, but I had nailed it. I was in one piece. Norbert would have been proud. I looked at Jack. His eyes glistened bright as the summer sun. I saw my beautiful Emily in those eyes. Then all at once he started to laugh. A true child's laugh like water rushing in a brook. It almost choked me as I watched him. Laughter. The most beautiful sound in all the world. That's what I learned. I tousled his long blonde hair and smiled. To make people laugh. That's what this crest is all about. That is everything. I took my little grandson by the hand and led him back to the inn. Emily, my queen, was waiting for me there. The hearth was roaring, and I had sunflowers for her. The end. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify. I mean, seriously, leave a review on Spotify. Push the number. Leave a num- Push the star. Leave a number. Five. That's it. If we can get to 100 in a few days, that would be great. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I know that you're listening there. I appreciate it. Leave a review. I just want to read them. Um, you can leave a review on Podchaser, uh, which is a great site. Um, shout out to them. And you can leave a review on the Good Pods app, which is phenomenal. Uh, you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you access to tons of content. Um, you can also donate at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes.
you can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.